Curiosity is not a sin, Harry, but you should exercise caution. He's a time strand. You're fraternizing with the enemy. There's the, um, the Cruciatus curse. We'll celebrate a boy who was kind and honest and brave and true right to the very end. Hey everyone, welcome to Hogwarts, a podcast. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Hogwarts, a podcast. We're doing chapter 29, The Dream, and we have Jen back again. Hello. So before we get into the chapter, I just want to really quickly shout out Lee Peacock, um, who reached out to us on Twitter, and he said that he really loves the podcast. Thank you so much for reaching out to us on Twitter. You could see uh, Lee at Lee Peacock 2013 on Twitter, so give him a shout. And thank you so much for reaching out to us. We really appreciate it. Uh, now, this chapter. This chapter is an interesting one. And I've pulled some things out that I know some people are going to get a little wary on. And I understand that. Oh, boy. Yeah, I know. Um, Jen, you're going to have to buckle in at some points, but that's okay. <laughs> really quick rundown of the chapter. We got Harry, Ron, and Hermione chatting about the previous evening, which, thank goodness, they've finally gotten on this pattern of like talking about things when they happen. Oh, my God. I know, right? Mind-blowing. We get uh, Fred and George arguing, which is intriguing, because when do they ever really argue? We have a conversation with Moody, we have a letter from Sirius, we have some third task prep, and yes, I know, this is probably where the eye rolls are going to come in, we have some Trelawney class moments, in which the dream happens in her class, and then we have a conversation with Albus. So a lot of talking. But there's some good stuff in here. So, uh, where would you, where do you want to start? So I love the um, parallel nosiness and secrecy that's going on when they encounter the trio in the Owlery. They're both asking questions of the other, but not willing to to divulge anything. I thought it was interesting that George was specifically being the one like, "Hey, maybe we shouldn't be doing this." Yeah. Like. He was the calm, reserved, like, questioning one, and Fred seemed to be the more gung-ho one about this. Yeah. I think that's an interesting dynamic there. It is. Have we seen that dynamic before? Not that I'm aware of. It's kind of an interesting play, because now we're getting, like, a discernible difference in the twins. Yeah. Yeah. Like, a personality difference. We, it's hard to separate them, and I think now we have one example, at least, that you could point to. Yeah. They're usually just playing off of each other. Mm-hmm. Um, I also loved the subtlety of Harry trying to look at who the envelope was addressed to and Fred just slowly shifting his finger to cover the name. They, uh, they're not dumb. They are not. <laughs> they, are, they are very on top of things. And for as much as we're talking about George uh, questioning Fred's judgment here, yeah. he steps up in a big way and ends up actually sending the letter himself. Yep. It's interesting in that they are different. Mm-hmm. They are two different people, yep. which is important to recognize and notice. As if there are any twins out there listening to yep. this podcast, I'm sure they'll appreciate that idea that there are two individuals. It's not just one person. But at the same time, they are for each other first. Yes. Like they are backing each other first above anybody else. So it, it's an interesting dynamic just it, here in this small scene. It's a nice thing to see. Yeah. Um, I'm also a little bit surprised in that scene, though, that Ron is a bit suspicious of Fred and George and saying that they'll do anything for a few galleons, which is kind of an odd 
criticism from Ron. We don't often hear him saying negative things, I feel, about his We get siblings. some interesting criticisms of his own family from Ron. Yeah. I, I think Ron is maybe overblowing some of it when he says, oh, they do anything for a, a few galleons. We haven't seen them have that much of a moral failing You know what? Yet. You know what, Ron? This, this means you need what? Constant vigilance. That's what you need. Constant vigilance. <laughs> okay, Moody. Yeah, uh, and we get some. We get a constant vigilance mention with Moody, and uh, the the trio goes to him to try to figure out some more information about what happened the previous evening. Uh, which I feel like is a, just a very bold, bold statement to go with. Yeah. Uh, going up to a teacher and being like, "Can we get a lot of this?" Yes. Uh, if I was a teacher, I'd be like, "What are you doing? Get out of my office." Yeah. We do get a cool mention. From Moody, he's already suggested that Harry might make a good or, and Hermione's asking him a couple of questions, and he just stops and is like, you know, you might also make a good or there, Miss Granger. You you have the you have the brain for it, which makes her um, uh, blush a little bit. Yeah, makes her uh, pretty happy about it. I don't think he's wrong. I don't think he's wrong I either. I think or. he's pretty good. Um, I thought it was really cute that Ron immediately then tried to suggest things to also get a compliment that was not forthcoming. <laughs> It was not. So we get the conversation with Moody. We get a letter from Sirius that's, I think, really interesting, too, where he literally scolds Harry for walking alone at night with anyone. <laughs> like, yeah. just anyone. Just don't do it. <laughs> just don't do it. But specifically, another champion yeah. who's older and trying to win. Also, yeah. one who happens to be from the background that he is. Not necessarily disparaging Crumb himself, but more where he's coming from. Yeah. And the school that he's coming from. Yeah. Um, There's a lot of paranoia around this, which we saw at the end of the last chapter with Karkaroff mm -hmm. being very paranoid that his champion was targeted. Hagrid being very paranoid about the state of, you know, he, he made some kind of xenophobic comment where he explicitly yeah. mentioned foreigners, which was yeah. a bit extreme. Yeah. Um, and now we've got Sirius, who's also being incredibly, but there is a lot of paranoia surrounding this tournament. Uh, yeah. And, you know, there's, I think he mentions in the letter, like, people die in this anyway. Yeah. And when your name is put in, and it's not supposed to be, now they're very, there's a very targeted reason as to why. Yes. And, and Harry does have some good counterpoints as like, well, I mean, I was there anyway. They could have yeah. gotten me at any point in time. Yeah. If they wanted me dead, I was there. Yeah. Um, and here I am, which is a little false misleading logic, too. Yeah. I mean, I'm not going to be like walking in really dangerous places and be like, I was fine that one day. Right. So I'm going to be fine every day. Right. That's wrong logic to use. <laughs> Very bad logic. But uh, it is interesting to see Sirius take more of, uh, dare I say, a parental role yes. in being like, what are you doing? Don't do that ever. Don't ever let me catch you doing this again. I love it. It is. It's a nice serious moment. It is a nice I like it. serious moment. Ha <laughs> uh, ha. We should have had a pun counter on his shy. name. Uh, missed opportunity. But he also does have some good, uh, uh, quick suggestions. He's like, hey, practice stunning, yep. practice disarming, yep. maybe throw in a couple of hexes. <laughs> that, would, that would help you out in the maze. Solid advice. It's really solid advice. 
uh, almost makes you wish he could have gotten some of that advice in the first two tasks from Sirius. Yeah. Uh, he didn't need it in the second task. Everybody else gave him advice. <laughs> anyway, sorry, I'm not going to get on that tangent yeah. again. I do think this is a little bit of an ironic letter from Sirius. I'm not the only one. Harry mentions it the second the letter is finished. Yep. He's like, well, this is rich coming yep. from this guy who is like a complete goof-off in school. Yep. Like, come on, you made the Marauder's Map. Come on. He had a penchant for breaking rules. Right. Telling Harry now to follow the And rules. thus is the life of a parent. <laughs> Even though he's not the parent. Do but... as I say, not as I do. Exactly. Um, and yet, despite all of this, Harry completely dismisses any advice Sirius gives him, Moody gives him, or Albus gives him. Because what do they know? They know nothing. Ugh. Just ugh. It's so Harry. It's, it's so Harry. It is Harry's personality trait that just drives me nuts. Talk about I've, a toxic trait. Like, right, I've never met someone so unwilling to listen to other people. <laughs> like you have, and he respects half, like most of these people. Like he respects he, all of he them. He loves Sirius. He respects Moody. He ignores uh, Hagrid's advice too. Yeah, he Hagrid is his friend. Albus is his like the universally known best wizard in the entire world. Yeah. So, like, all of these people that I like and care about, eh, I'm going to do what I want. <laughs> yep. Because you're Harry Potter. Such a teenager move. I know. So frustrating. Anyway. Um, so he eventually decides, I should probably do this third task prep. And his stunning ends up being good, passable. And you know what? Bless Hermione and bless Ron. Mm -hmm. True friends step up to let themselves get knocked out repeatedly. That sounds so painful. It's not pleasant. No. That can't be pleasant. And Ron keeps missing the pillows, so he keeps hitting the floor. I do kind of agree with Ron, though. It's like, what do you want me to do? I'm literally yeah. knocked out. No, that was great, where Hermione's like, just just try to fall on the pillows. And he's like, I'm not able to control this. What do you want me to do? I do like this evaluation, though. It, it, so we learned that his stunning is passable, yep. which is great, considering he's picked this up so quickly. Disarming, they've determined that he's already perfect at it, so they don't need to work on it anymore, yes. which is fine. If that's a skill that he has, great. That's like, that's his spell. Yeah, it, well, yeah, <laughs> to a flaw almost, but yeah. we'll get to that. And then Hexes, they'll be like, ah, we'll get to Hexes later. Yeah. Okay, fine. Now, here's where this chapter gets interesting. Oh, boy. All right, let me prepare myself. Yep. So we get to Trelawney's class, and it's set up with... Uh, the warmth and the perfume and all of this that gets you in this hazy, lightheaded, uh, dazed state. So he cracks an uh, open a window, gets the wind across his face, and just knocks out. It sounds like a very like humid, kind of lazy summer day, right? There's like a slight breeze, but the classroom's very humid. Yep. There's kind of a, you know, it's it's warm everywhere. Uh, things are heavy, there's bugs flying around. Yep. I would always try to get the seat next to a window if I could in a classroom for those late May days when yeah. it does get warmer and you're still in class. Yeah. But I, I, I do have a comment on Trelawney's actual class, but I'll get to that after the dream. Okay. So the dream happens, and it's Voldy and Wormtail having a conversation about Wormtail messing up, but it's fine because the guy is dead anyway. Yeah. 
That's a easy. morbid conversation right out the gate. Easy come, easy go. So he's like, you know, I was going to feed you to my pet snake, Nagini, but I'm just going to torture you instead. Yeah. <laughs> he like goes and tortures Wormtail. <laughs> and, I mean, that's essentially the dream. And then Harry wakes up with his scar just pounding. Yes. Before we leave Trelawney's class, I will just point out, this is a 100% throwaway line. Yeah. It's like her only line in this whole classroom setting. Yeah. 100% throwaway. Uh, but she goes, uh, they're doing planetary divination, which I took notice of. Mm-hmm. Uh, just FYI, most of this conversation is going to happen in the spoilers. But <laughs> she's talking about planetary divination. And the only line she really has in this scene is, Mars seems to be at an interesting position. And then he's like, out. Interesting angle with Neptune. Right. My take, not a throwaway line. So when I read it this time, it actually made me want to go back to see if... Because I feel like she's mentioned planetary things before. Yes. So... Not only planetary things. A specific planet. She has mentioned Mars Mars. in the past. It did make me wonder, because we know that JK likes her wordplay. Yes. If maybe there was something more. So the only time we hear of Mars previously to this was in the Forbidden Forest okay. uh, after the unicorn had been attacked. Okay. And uh, after they had seen uh, Voldy in okay. the Forbidden Forest. And Hagrid's in there and he's asking the two centaurs, like, hey, did you guys see anything? Yeah. And the only response they would give Hagrid is like, Mars is particularly bright tonight. Okay. And that was like the only response they gave him. And Hagrid was like, yes, yes, I see that. But yeah. like, Thanks, guys. have you seen anything? Yeah. <laughs> and that was the only response they'd give him. Okay. Is Mars is bright tonight, frustratingly. Yes. So that was the first time we saw it. This is the second time we've saw it. Spoiler section. Spoiler section. All right. I liked that Trelawney uh, equated Harry's dream to her extraordinary clairvoyant vibrations. Not that it's humid. Hey, you know and what? He's tired. I mean, yes, but to Trelawney's credit here, and I guess to Harry's detriment in a roundabout way this is a prime opportunity for harry to score some major points with trelawney oh i know she would eat this up she was so excited and and so disappointed when he was like i just want to i liked how he put it though where he was like i just the only thing i want right now is a headache cure which is fair yeah totally fair and by the way this is sensitive information that he's not going to want to divulge to just anyone and i get that and we'll talk about who he divulges it to in a second but Trelawney is not like, if you told her this dream is what you had in her classroom, and you're Harry Potter, yeah. what is she supposed to think? Like, yeah. like I mean, come on. Yeah. No, I mean, <laughs> like, I get her perspective on this one, for once. Like, this is in her wheelhouse, and this is something that's actually cropped up that could be interpreted as a form of divination. And you're just like... To her, it definitely feels like he just had a vision and doesn't want to talk about it. Yep. So I give Trelawney a little, little credit there. Anyway, so Harry's like, okay, Sirius told me if I ever have my scar hurt, run to Dumbledore. Yeah. What does he do? Runs to Dumbledore. He does. He runs. He actually, actually listens. does. It's amazing. I'm so proud Gen of him. Jen, miracles happen. Oh, my God. They happen. My heart. So... He actually goes to 
uh, Dumbledore's office struggles to get the password, which he should maybe just get in writing at some point. You, I think you think Dumbledore should just slip him a note at the beginning of every year. I think every year they need to have a conversation. Really? I mean, that yeah. needs to happen. I love that he gets it by guessing a bunch of candies. And I love it's that it's a bad still way to do a candy. It. But I yeah. love that, that like Dumbledore, so predictable. Candies, love it. It's almost like Dumbledore's password is password. It's like, <laughs> no, right. like you could get it after like. <laughs> yep. And then, so I never, I never realized this until I reread it this time. And they talk about so when he says it, and it's cockroach cluster. And I like that Harry's like, I was just joking, like, A plus password. Um, so it opens, and then the the stone stairs start revolving around mm-hmm. for him to take him up. It's an escalator. He's got an escalator to his office. Baller move again. That's amazing. Al, this is just. I love it so much. So next much. level. Yep. Next level. Yep. Uh, well, we find out that he's already having a conversation with Fudge and Moody. And Fudge is putting himself in some interesting light here. And this is another indication, this is another moment uh, where we talked a little bit about last chapter, there's some great moments from Dumbledore. Mm-hmm. I think this is another example of a great moment. It is. He's talking with, and I know it's Albus Dumbledore. So, I mean, he gets that. When you already have a high stature yourself, yeah. you can have these conversations a little bit easier. Yeah. But he's talking to the Minister of Magic. Yeah. And Fudge is starting to cast doubts on Madame Maxine. Why? <laughs> he literally questions the fact that, come on, Elvis, we know her background. And I know you're prejudiced towards that background because you've had such good success with Hagrid. But that's not everyone in that circumstance. Clearly building a racial argument against giant or half-giant yes. uh, ancestry. And Dumbledore calmly, calmly, <laughs> Dumbledore calmly responds. I can. Or she. He goes. What do you take? What do you make of Madame Maxime? Yeah. And he goes. I consider her to be a very able headmistress and an excellent dancing partner. I love Dumbledore. That's just. I, I know that. I. He did say this calmly. He did. But if there isn't like a little like backslap to fudge in this, like oh, Dumbledore 100%. is the master of backhanded, yes. undertoned sass. He is. And he's giving you such a sass answer, but in this calm demeanor, oh, it's great, eh? It's beautiful. It's, it's well done. It's absolutely beautiful. Because you know that it's not an ignorant answer, because you know that Dumbledore is too smart to miss the implications of what he's saying. He is choosing to he's... answer in the most innocent way possible mm-hmm. to not... make you look even worse. Not only that, he specifically yeah. calls the Minister of Magic, maybe you're the one who's prejudiced. Yep. He just he called him. Uh, he is a hundred percent. And uh, Fudge loves to, you know, cast some doubt on some people and spread some blame around because nothing can ever be his fault. But this was a tense conversation, to say the least. The last chapter and this chapter have not done a lot for the wizarding community. It's been full of paranoia and racism. It's just. One after another, after another, after another. I mean, we start the last chapter with the house elves, which was uh, its own discussion. We ended it with the paranoia and Hagrid's uh, xenophobic remark. And then now we're in uh, this chapter and Fudge is being racist. And it's just everyone, it's not a good time. Like there's there's so much intolerance that we've seen just in these two chapters. And to be coming from the Minister of Magic, it's embarrassing. It's not a good luck. It's not a good luck. It's not a good luck. Dumbledore is just calm. But you know who has a great luck? 
Moody through his eye to the door where he spots Harry and yep. is like, maybe we should end this conversation. I love that. Like Fudge is like, why did you want to? Did you want to go somewhere else? And he's like, no, there's just a kid outside. <laughs> Eavesdropping on this conversation. So good. Yeah. This chapter goes by very quickly, and there's not a whole lot of moving and sh- like there was a big plot moment in the last yeah. chapter, and this is kind of your like recovery chapter of yeah. like catching everybody else up. This is a this is definitely a transition chapter. There's not a lot of substance. There's a couple hints of small things, but we're still processing the end of the last chapter. We're left wondering really what's going on. We do get introduced to the dream, which does add another layer of okay, something else is yep. brewing right now. And then we end it with you know, Harry's actually listening. I'm so proud of him. He actually did what he was supposed to do. But it's setting up now the next chapter where we're actually going to talk to. Potentially talk to Dumbledore, figure out a little bit what what's the game plan going forward. What do we do with this information? He still has to deal with the third task. He's been doing a good job at least prepping for things, but much better. But yeah, I mean, so where do we go from here? So this is setting up that. So there's really not a large amount of. We're getting down to it. We're almost here. at the end of this book. Yeah, we're we're getting to it. Yeah. So I think we've called the Prisoner of Azkaban like this roller coaster where we were just getting to the peak and then all of a sudden we hit and it's like screaming downhill. Yeah. I think we're about there at the top of that peak where it's about to go downhill. So it's... There's a lot of things building up. The school year's almost over. We've got the third task coming up. It feels like... feels like there's a lot of things. Maybe that has something to do with what Trelawney said in that throwaway comment. Huh. Hmm. Let's talk some spoilers. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> we'll, be, we'll be right back with the spoilers section. Kill the stag! Alright, so we are back with the spoiler section of chapter 29, The Dream. And I wanted to just double back on that comment that was said just before he went into that dream state about Mars. So we kind of alluded to it and stuff like that at the end, but it's it's no secret that Mars is considered a harbinger of war of battles of bloodshed things like that and i mentioned in book one you get the centaurs taking note that mars is bright in the sky yeah you could either take that as narrow view uh the voldemort is rising again Mm -hmm. he's putting plans in motion to come back and either if you take it for directly like Harry's going to have to confront him at the end of this book, and that's why Mars is bright. Or, long-term, a war is upon us. Yeah. Which, if you go ahead, and this is a spoiler, if you go ahead to book five, where Ferenz takes over for Trelawney, he literally says, Mars, (laughs) we're between two wars. I think he literally says the words, like, we're between two wars. Okay. Like, that's the significance of Mars right now, was his interpretation. So, Mars does pop up a couple of times in the Harry Potter series. Obviously, Mars is mentioned in this chapter, and what do we have? We just ended this chapter with saying, or the non-spoiler was saying, the third task is coming. We're getting down to the end of this book. Yep. What do we know is happening at the end of this book? Voldemort comes back. Yep. Death happens. Like, I don't think it's an accident that Mars was just dropped no, I think so casually. No, I I completely agree. I think that was an intentional choice by uh, JK. I didn't really think too deeply about it when I initially read it. When I reread it this time, I made a note that I should look up if there was anything 
specific to Mars or Mars and, and Neptune. But I think what's interesting to your point is that in the first, the first reference that it's made in the first book is when he is attempting to come back. We don't get anything for the next two books because he's not attempting to come back. And then now in this book, it is foreshadowing that mm -hmm. he is about to come back. But So I do think that it is interesting that even though we're hearing it from two different people across four books so far, the two books where it was mentioned are correlated to the two times that Voldemort is trying to come back. So I did notice that looking at the mentions of Mars that we get, we get two by Centaurs and we get one here by Trelawney. Yeah. And uh, I was kind of digging into interpretations of Mars and stuff like that and the interpretations that these parties give to Mars. Okay. And you have Trelawney who... Lover or hater, she is a seer, but she's a human seer. Yeah. Versus the centaurs who look at the planets and divine in their specific way. Yeah. Different ways. But what I saw is that they divine the future. The key difference is interpretation. Okay. Centaurs have a more reserved interpretation. They don't actually like to interpret the signs. They see the signs, but they don't like to place a whole lot on them. They just like to be like, that's a problem, or that's a sign of something to come, and then they just sit and usually wait for it. True. They don't have as much interpretation of it. They acknowledge it. Where Trelawney's whole game is, is interpretation. Yeah. And sometimes she's right, sometimes she's wrong. Most of the time. Fair enough. But, so... <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> I had to. I'm sorry. No, you're I fine. Had to take a you're not wrong. <laughs> but uh, the the idea is, Trelawney's making the right read. Yeah. She's reading like, hey, something's off. Something's yeah. not right. Mm -hmm. The difference is she's interpreting it poorly most of the time. Yes. Whereas centers just disregard the interpretation altogether, and they're just like, that's a sign of something to come. <laughs> like, yeah. And they sit on it. Yeah. And that's why Hagrid was so frustrated, because the only thing they would ever tell him is, Mars is bright tonight. Yeah. What am I supposed to do with that? Yeah, that doesn't help. Trelawney would give you a 20-minute speech on what that means. <laughs> she might be but right or wrong. It might, right. But that's the difference in how they interpret divining the future or divining whatever around you. Yeah. And centaurs also view the future in different ways than people do from my research that I did. They'd be like, longer term. Okay. So that's why Mars is Bright Tonight might be the Battle of Hogwarts. Yeah. But True. They do mention that in the first film, or in the first book, I think, where they say it's not necessarily immediate. Right. They're be. dealing in longer terms. Yeah. So they're, that, and that's why they're not in a rush to interpret. Yeah. They're like, this could mean any number of things from X to Z, yeah. or, or for A to Z, but, you know, we'll sit back and wait for whatever to happen. Yeah. Whereas, Let's let this play whereas out. Whereas Trelawney's first. like firing bullets all the time. Yeah. Uh, which is where she gets some of her inaccuracies. Yes. So I, I just thought it was interesting that they dropped Mars and that they dropped that uh, there's a little bit of a difference in interpretation between Ferenz and Bane and Ronan out in the forest and Trelawney in the classroom. Yeah. But still, she's noticing Mars is in a weird position today. Stunning. Yeah. Considering we're coming up on what we're coming up on. Yeah. I think it's another great example of JK adding in details that on the first glance, when you read it, you just go, oh, yeah, they're just 
Mars and Neptune because they're doing planetary divination and you don't think too strongly about it, but mm -hmm. it is a hint at Voldemort coming back. It is a hint towards, this is a deeper meaning than just a throwaway line to illustrate that they that Harry is in the middle of a lesson. Um, and I, I like that. I like that she, she does have a lot of uh, wordplay like that or, or small mentions of things that do become relevant or that do mean something, and I think this is a good example of that. Yeah. So it's just, I, it comes across as a straight-up throwaway line. Yeah. Uh, but... And I like the parallel between the first book and this book, too. Of yeah. The two times he tries or the two times it gets mentioned. Um, real quick, I did want to go over, we had, a, we had a little bit of a serious mention with the letter and him kind of scolding Harry to a degree. And I kind of wanted to double back on some things that Julie was saying in um, a couple of chapters ago with... Sirius taking the trio more seriously. We are going to have so many of those puns, the serious, serious thing. Yeah. <laughs> Whatever. Uh, but he's he's treating the trio more like adults yeah. than anybody else's in this entire series. And Ron, he doesn't, and then Ron calls him out on it. Is like, that's the same thing my dad says. That's the same thing, whatever. And Sirius is like, you know what? You're right. Here you go. Which I think is great. Uh, and I think it's one of his most redeeming characteristics. Definitely. And some people take it as a negative. And you, Interesting. you can spin it as a negative in that Harry treat or Sirius treats Harry as if he was James. Mm -hmm. And he does at times. Yeah. And there is that fault in his character. But in moments like this where he's treating them more as equals and adults, that's the positive spin to that. Yeah. Where he's having real conversations with them about things. He's learning stuff from them. Yeah. He's listening to them. And then, yes, he's shooting down some of their theories and being like, that's ridiculous. He can't do that. Or this is not the case. I know this guy. Or whatever have you. Yeah. But he's still listening. And then he's not just shooting it down. He's shooting it down and explaining why he's shooting it down. Yeah. Which is so different from most of the adults in, in their lives. He seems to be, the, the of all of the adults in their lives, he seems to be the one that remembers what it was like to be a teenager the most. Yes. Well, he had so much of his youth taken away from him, right. too. Right, and I think that that largely plays into it. He didn't have the same maturing process that Lupin or the Weasleys or anyone else sure. did. He very acutely remembers how he was as a teenager because that was when he had his best friend still, and yep. his life wasn't blown up. So I think he has probably thought about those times a lot. It probably resonates with him, and then he sees someone and he, he remembers what it feels like. So yeah. I think that's why he's so willing to listen and explain things to them, which I think is a fan. I personally think that's the way to do it. I think you have to treat them as adults. They're people. They are people. And they they know, as much as Molly Weasley would like to hide them away from the Order of the Phoenix, Yeah. they know what's going on. Right. They know that Voldy is acting. Keeping them out of the loop could potentially be doing more harm than right. if you just let them in the loop right. and kept them educated, which is you which know, shockingly causes problems yeah. and emo Harry. Yep. But uh, <laughs> one other thing about Sirius that I wanted to mention, and then uh, we'll probably wrap it up. Um, Sirius treating his uh, Sirius saying the measure of a man is to see how he treats his inferiors. 
not his equals. Yeah. I'm paraphrasing his quote. But the, the meaning is, like, look at how he treats his inferiors versus how he treats his equals. And it's a great line. And it is. It's a, it's a quote that I snip from the book, and I'll put it up on a quote board. Yeah. Like, it's a great line. That being said, it is a little ironic that Sirius would say this because he doesn't exactly practice what he preaches all the time. He has his hang-ups. And we talked a little bit about it just seconds ago when we were talking about treating them like equals. Right. Uh, and how that has some pros and some cons. Here, uh, as we get into the next book specifically, it becomes more obvious. But the way we've, we've talked about house elves, we've talked about Dobby. Yeah. The way he treats creature yeah. is not good. No. And I understand there's some latent uh, history there yeah. that's unpleasant and unkind for him. Yeah. How do you treat your inferiors compared to your equals? How are you talking to creature versus how you're talking to Harry even? Or how you're talking to Lupin? Or how you're talking to Albus? It's a little speaking out of both sides of your mouth. This is the downside of not maturing past how you were as a teenager because he never got to a point of understanding creature or his generational trauma and why I don't know like wizarding therapy should be a thing wizarding therapy should definitely be a thing he had a lot to unpack and you know like I said there are some other factors contributing to why he's treating creature the way he is it's a very nuanced which we'll have to get into more when we visit his childhood home and all of the circumstances that go into that. So we'll get there when we get there. Um, but I think that's all I have, really. Do you yeah, have else? this was just a quick chapter and uh, not really too much to get in depth over. No, it pretty much is what it is. It's one of those transition chapters from big moment to big moment. Yep. <laughs> so we're just bridging the gap here. We're bridging the gap. Preparing ourselves for the exciting conclusion. We are. And we're right around that corner. we got the third task coming up, and then we're pretty much yeah. over. There's going to be a lot to unpack. There's, there's a lot chapters. to unpack. So. so we'll get back to the big episodes soon enough. Yeah. Enjoy, the, enjoy the quick one. Yeah. There will be a lot to come. Uh, let us know on Twitter and Instagram what you thought of all of our discussion today, including the Mars stuff and the Trelawney stuff. Ooh. Hit me with it. I'm okay with it. It's all good. <laughs> Give us a review on Spotify. And give us a voice message. If you go to our Anchor profile page, you can leave a voice message and be part of the podcast. We're still trying to get that in. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you on the next chapter. Thank you for listening to Hogwarts, a podcast. If you like what you've heard, please click the subscribe button on your preferred podcasting app and follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Hogwarts a Pod.